and there are no fans in the world like you, the fans who come from all over the world to be here all WrestleMania week, to come to Access, to come to all the different shows, and to stay through, sit through three freaking hours of Monday Night Raw, and sit here and be here tonight listening to us talk. So, with, without you, there isn't any us. Screw this building. The important thing is the people who fill it, and that's you. So we want to thank you once again. How's it going folks? You are back at Wild Thing. This is the John Moxley Career Review Podcast and I am your uneducated host, Joey O'Darty. So thank you for joining us today. We're going to be looking back at the 2018 return to WWE for Dean Ambrose and his subsequent departure in 2019. So really all goes horribly wrong for John Moxley in this six or seven month period. And before we get to that today, we have a quick plug for VoicesOfWrestling.com. They're doing a pretty cool preview of WrestleMania weekend for the indie scene. So all the cool promotions and shows are going to be on over the next Thursday onwards. They're going to have some really cool audio previews, written previews, and hopefully some reviews at the end of it all by the time Monday morning hits. So myself, I'm going to be taking part as well as some other cool Voices Wrestling contributors. So check that out over at voicesofwrestling.com but onwards to today's episode and like i said it's a pretty depressing time for dean ambrose as we take to this episode he is returning he's all bulked up and he's ready to go he's fired up but wwe creative really shit the bed for lack of a better word they absolutely butcher his return to the point where he says do you know what i'm gonna i'm, I'm i want to do something else i want to take my passion i want to take all my years of experience and take them somewhere else anywhere else that will appreciate me and to help me look back at this period within this really depressing period of john moxie's career i've enlisted to help a really cool individual this man he is a host for one nation radio over on the social suplex network he is a rapper and producer and he's let's be honest the guy is a pretty pretty legend around the wrestling punditry world i have enlisted the help of rich ladder rich knowing me joey dirty knowing you rich ladder aha Oh, I'm pretty good, Joey. Glad to be here. Great to have you. And like, what we obviously like to talk about here is what got you into wrestling? Basically, when did you first get the wrestling bug? Man, um, I grew up a wrestling fan. Um, I'm from Springfield, Massachusetts originally. For those you know that are listening internationally, it's like you know in the Northeast, right next to New York, WWF country. I uh, started becoming a wrestling fan. Ironically, in late 1995, um, I had one of those illegal cable the boxes. New Gen <laughs> Yep, yep. I had one of those illegal cable boxes, and the first event I actually remember watching was WCW Starcade. But you know, I always knew about the WWF, and then became more familiar with wrestling, like because they would run in my area at like the Springfield Civic Center, and went out there like my first show probably in March of '96. I want to say it was a Bret Hart Shawn Michaels. Uh, lumberjack match main event for that that was also like in your house rage in the cage uh, i was real big on that and uh you know i kind of took the natural progression from like watching something like a power rangers into wanting to see more people fighting and my grandfather was a huge wrestling fan so that was a way for us to bond so the cartoonish nearly surrealness of wwe and wcw at the time kind of drew you in right yeah yeah some over-the-top characters, obviously, that like you mentioned back then, but obviously, Rage in the Cage, you would have had, let's say, Bulldog, I imagine, Bret Hart would have been there, like Undertaker. That's what would draw you in. At that time, there was plenty of over-the-top silliness within, obviously, let's say, WWE at the time. But the wrestling bar for you obviously doesn't get set there. What do you think is excellent pro wrestling? What is your standard for it? Is, is it an angle? Is it a match? Uh, I would say it's it's like a feeling, and it can come from both it can come from an angle or come from a match um for example like in rage in the cage like i can't count how many times i watched Shawn michaels versus owen hart i just thought they were so athletic and uh um, they chemistry were too 
Yeah, great. And I love love both of those, two of my all-time favorite wrestlers. And in the modern day, I would probably, you know, say a lot of that New Japan era from like 2015 to about 2020, I would say. The big Kenny Omega and, you know, Kazushiko Okada matches, Kota Ibushi, Ishii, just the fighting spirit and the will to win and the, the unpredictable nature of who will win. Like when I think of excellent pro wrestling, it's like elite athletic performance combined with untouchable drama easy for people to obviously look at the likes of okada and omega back then it's like wow that only did they tell a story but man they have some athletic prowess that like i don't think has been retouched really to, to this day it's it's phenomenal run like and like right. there's no doubt about it that, that kind of wrestling is is definitely the bar for so many people and with obviously good, good reason but this is a john moxley dean ambrose jonathan good podcast and we always try to get deep into the crust of what Dean Ambrose and John Moxley obviously are and what they became. But, you know, what are your earliest memories of Dean Ambrose or John Moxley? And do you remember particularly when you first became aware of him? I remember getting back into wrestling in like the summer of 2011, ironically, like so many others, um, you know, knowing like about the CM Punk thing and the pipe bomb and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wasn't really aware of the independent, you know, scene before that. And you know, I'm just watching WWE and then all, you know, I would peruse on the Internet and always hear about this guy, Dean Ambrose, who everyone would talk about, say he's this crazy man. He's like the greatest wrestler ever. And I would just like hear all that stuff. And I was kind of annoyed after a while. I was just like, where is this guy? Like, how do I see him? But I didn't know, you know, obviously he was in the developmental and everything like that. But um, I saw him pop up, uh, you know, as a surprise debut uh, in Survivor Series 2012 with the rest of the shield. And then he just had like this great kind of uh, way, way he carried himself looked like he mattered. He didn't just look like your standard, just guy that's, that's out there. And then you would hear him talk and it's like, Oh, okay, I get it immediately. And who did he remind you of for you? What makes this guy special? Honestly, it was, he seemed very original to me. Like I, I didn't link him to Austin or Piper or even funk. I think the funk thing would like come later on where I was like, okay, yeah, I could see, you know, he's, he's probably doing a little bit of Terry funk, but I, you know, at that time I thought it was a total original and yeah. I just thought it was just super cool. Like somebody that could be like, you know, he could, he could, he could be like a James Bond S character. He definitely has some sort of physical charisma and a presence about him. And he obviously made a very good career. He was WWE, obviously very high in him. And for a long time, he was either in the mid card to upper mid card or in some very rare occasions in the main events, obviously, of WWE pay-per-views over the next five years. But we're going to be deep diving today into his 2018 run, basically his return to WWE, his subsequent angle with Seth Rollins and his unfortunate farewell in 2019. So at this point, he's been out with a horrific injury. Do you have much recollection of his absence at this time, Rich? Yeah, I remember like just being sad that he was missing, you know, the big events. It seemed like seemed like WrestleMania 34 was like kind of a seminal moment for a lot of people in this era uh, of guys that were around then. And he was gone and he was gone and pretty much from I think it was about a year at that point, it felt like. And he was having pushbacks and I believe there was, a, you know, additional um, like infection that he had, which like pushed him back even more. So um, it, it, I was sad for the guy. I always liked him, but I was pretty excited because I think every everyone kind of saw the writing on the wall. It's like he's been a baby face for a real long time. And we've always heard about what a great heel this guy would be. So he came with the new look and the new physique, the beard. And it looked like, oh, like he's been in the gym, like something's different about this guy. And I was pretty excited to see where it went. But <sighs> We know what happened. We do indeed. And like physically, he looks like a man that Vince McMahon can get behind. He's beefed up. He's bulkier. He looks a bit more smoother, a bit more grown up. And he's coming into this feud here, backing Seth Rollins up against Dolph Ziggler, of all people, and his basically his HBK tribute act with a big daddy cool Drew McIntyre, if you will, <laughs> coming into SummerSlam 2018. And it's a very good match they obviously have, and Dean plays a big role in it. But really, the meat and bones of this kind of story is basically setting up a shield reunion again which unfortunately has already been done from 2017 it looks like it was more or less just a, a return read and reunion to sort of you know set the stage for a dean ambrose eventual heel turn so like what did you make at this period of dean ambrose career and of course the shield reunion mark two I- I think all the shield reunions were designed to either or I'll take it even further back. So the most popular guy of the shield was always John Moxley slash Dean Ambrose. Um, 100% agree. 
he was the guy that they would handcuff Seth Rollins to to fix his crowd reactions like they did in 2017 or 2018. They knew they had, you know, Roman Reigns was probably going through one of the roughest periods in his career after what they did to him at WrestleMania. The, the big rejection with, with Samoa Joe in New Jersey uh, when he was going against Jinder Mahal, like all-time crowd hijackings, the multiple Brock Lesnar matches that were all very bad. Um, they were rushing off the air as they let him win the title like within 90 seconds, and they just were in a bad situation. So they, what were they like? Oh, we'll put him next to Dean Ambrose again and redo the shield again. And then I think this actually kind of this hurt. Rollins, who was very hot the first half of the year, and I think a lot of the fans wanted them to go with Rollins at that time uh, in 2018. And then once I forgot how over he was with this particular, like you know, segments I've watched, obviously going from August to probably October, he's really over. And I forgot, like my God, like he they had some Rollins at the stage. He wasn't really floundering as he was done previously or how he would do probably in 2019. He's he's getting great crowd reactions. Yep, and I think a lot of people wanted the company to go with him over Roman. And once they went with Roman, some of the wind kind of came out of Seth's sails. And by the time they were reemerging in the shield attire, the night after SummerSlam, he looked like an underling again. And I don't think he ever quite frank. And it kind of manifested itself into what happened the following year with crowds completely just being sick of the guy And you know, I think you can blame the company a lot for that. And with Ambrose, he even looks further like an underling because it's like I remember a specific promo where he was like up, like I think he was getting into it with you know whoever was running the show at the time and Baron they, Corbin I think right and it was like yeah he has a title uh, or, or he has Roman has a universal title uh, you know Rollins has an intercontinental title what do I have and it just made him look stupid like for a big portion of it and it was like this whole show reunion like it was so. They like they were milking it so bad, and it was like, I, I think it really left a bad taste, and, and and definitely in my mouth, but a lot of people's. Yeah, and to be honest, like I always felt when the first debuted, Ambrose was the the glue that held them together. Rollins could go in the ring, so could Ambrose to a certain point, and Reigns was completely green. But as a vocal and verbal presence, Ambrose was the guy who really took charge of things, and he was obviously viewed as the the quasi leader of the group initially, and. The one thing I'll always say is, like, especially when you see them in hindsight, he was never truly viewed as the guy when they split up and went single. Like Roman was the man they always wanted to push, and Rollins seemed to be the big bad heel that he wanted to try and develop. But Ambrose always seemed to get lost in the shuffle, never really viewed as step up that Roman or even Cena or Brock would ever do, even though he had main event runs. Like, But they were never at the same level as obviously what he probably could have achieved. You always feel like WWE probably missed the boat in that sense. Mm-hmm. I I think, you know, it was it was a lot with uh, you you look at the three guys. Right. And honestly, the one that you think would, uh, you know, do the best in WWE would be Moxley. Like he's the best communicator out of all of them. And his wrestling is like solid enough. Right. Let's say that. But Rollins is like, you know, your indie guy. Most people would have said at the time and, you know, didn't really. You know, it took took a while, I would say, to to get his verbal skills on par. And Reigns was kind of like, you know, a project and someone that had immense potential. And, you know, he would show flashes of, of being good. Like, I always liked his post-WrestleMania 32 run where he was wrestling with AJ Styles and doing like great cool stuff on TV. So I think that um, – but it's, it's, always, it's very weird how their careers played out because if they had tried, like, putting them all on the same level – I think it would have been more fruitful. I don't think, you know, this guy would be like for years. It felt like it was miscast as a baby face, but he just turned out to be a great baby face. And then like when they turned him, it was like, oh, man, they have no idea. And th- this is all during a creative free fall of the company. Like the, the WWE of 2018 to 2019 was just like where the wheels came off, I think. And what do you think of? being initially injected into a feud with Dolph Ziggler. Like Dolph Ziggler at the time, he's pretty he's pretty stale. Like, well, I think he's a very good talent and a very capable in-ring performer. Like, he, he's at this stage where I don't think anyone ever cared about him to this, I, like, you know, any sort of extent. So throwing a guy who should be really upper, upper mid-card into a, a floundering mid-card sort of feud, I don't think we really did him any favors. What were your thoughts? 
I thought that it was just a placeholder thing to get to what they really wanted to do uh-huh. with them. Um, like their cards were kind of set in stone at the time. They had a lot of long-term programs and it was like, you know, Oh, Dean Ambrose is back. And this gives like a little boost to SummerSlam and you know, what will he do? And, uh, but everything was kind of just lingering, I would say. And your first, his first real serious match back is, of course, a Hell in the Cell where he teams with Rollins to take on Drew and Dolph. And this was a match, obviously, I can't really remember too much till I obviously rewatched it. But, man, this was actually a really good match. Yeah, this was a good match. Um, I think I gave it four stars at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And it was like, you know, Moxley in a tag environment, you know, he doesn't have the the room to to make, a you know, to... He doesn't have the room to all he has to do is his is his stuff or whatever. And, you know, him and Rollins were always an awesome team. Ziggler and Drew both work hard. Uh, I contend that Drew McIntyre is perhaps the greatest heavyweight wrestler like, you know, above north of 250 division in WWE history. But um, so you're always going to get like quality performance there. Uh, Besides that, it was like, you know. You know, some form to do. That's it. And Rollins is obviously being groomed for a top spot himself. And you're hoping yourself, well, listen, if the way to you know, work this angle is to go down and obviously Rollins-Ambrose program, this is a it's a very decent build in sense of, like, you can see they're teasing things after this match, and, which I really think this, this match was, really wasn't expecting much run it, like a basic tag match. But really, for me, it delivered, especially the finish, like, the... The finish is, if you haven't seen this match, is basically Drew McIntyre coming in and claymoring uh, Seth Rollins after a beautiful uh, double uh, superplex into another superplex or Falcon Arrow, and it looks beautiful. And at the stage, you think, well, they're probably not losing too much juice here, but like they're setting the seeds for you know, obviously Dean Ambrose to slowly eventually be at least considered as a heel. You know, like they yeah, like you say, you mentioned earlier, Corbin was in the promo where he basically questions obviously what Ambrose's motives is is he happy where he is because you've got a champion in Rollins you've got a, a champion in, in in Roman Reigns you you've got nothing there buddy what's what's the what's the deal there like are you satisfied to this and Dean cuts a nice promo where he's you know he's teasing that he might just slip the knife in as he puts it you know and eventually do what Seth did to him at one stage but at the end of the promo he more assists the noise and fully pledges himself to the shield but it is it's a slow tease and it's one then that culminates at an episode of Raw, basically, and this is following a six-man tag with Drew, with Dolph, with Braun Strowman, and they get beaten, and Ambrose walks away, and it all basically starts to say, well, maybe the wheels are coming off the shield here. Were you, was this something that you were expecting or excited for? I think at the time I, I was. Uh, I would say that the more this thing started playing out, the you started, like, with hindsight, you could see that Ambrose knew something was wrong. Like even before like the, the shock heel turn the same night as the leukemia announcement, which I'm sure we'll get into. That is of course where we're going to be going to next. So like you've obviously set the stage, just ascension amongst the shield, you know, and I don't think anyone ever expected Roman Reigns to cut the promo. He did obviously, you know, before the actual heat turn, it's, it's a big promo where he obviously announced that he's got leukemia and, it gets it. It's obviously not a kayfabe promo. It's a shoot, and the, obviously my heart dropped. I think a lot of people obviously were very devastated as well because no one wants to see anyone go through this. But to to see Rollins and Ambrose then win the tag team titles that night, you're thinking this is a good feel good ending to this. At least you know like they're they're they're, they're not gonna make any sort of cheap heat off this. They're gonna go for it and just make it make the most of them the bad situation. But then they go and obviously turn Dean Hill right at the end. And I was completely, like, I was blindsided by this. I don't know what your thoughts were initially, but this was definitely something that I didn't see coming. Yes, I thought it was like, I, I was sat there in disbelief. Like, I wasn't, like, I wasn't angry. I wasn't um, upset. I was like, I can't believe they do this the same night, like, Wow. And then at the end of the day, like, you know, even in the reality of someone making a cancer announcement, they have to remind you that it's stupid professional wrestling. Like, you know, and they'll try to work those emotions. And I think there are a lot of people that feel a lot of ways about that. And, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, you know, getting worked. And then in some cases, it's like with Roman's situation, I think everyone was so worried about his his well-being. They didn't want to be worked at that time. No. So I don't know if it was necessary. 
they could have at least held off at the very least like for a, a couple week, of weeks. Like yeah. something like like to have it there, like in this one thing I can always say about AEW at the moment, they know when to turn the turn the screw and when to sort of say, listen, this is this isn't worth it. They've they've built up a very good loyalty there that like where when shit gets real, they just let it get real and don't try to, you know, build or work off it or turn it into a shoot. Like where WWE, I think that's really that's the first go-to, isn't it? Really, it's like that's just, that this is ammunition now that we can use to sort of work the crowd and turn it into an angle. And it just for me wasn't the right time to do with such a such an angle like this like but and, and i think it was snake bitten from that point on oh well initially like i think from hindsight from watching it on myself i guess you that the, the build isn't too bad in you know in a vacuum but again at the time i was i was just having none of it i wasn't really a fan of this kind of sort of you know sort of direction and <clears throat> It's just, it just wasn't something that like I feel like that you you know in this modern day era you 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 want to be worked but not at the sort of at the right circumstances you know in the right sort of you know right sort of mindset where these things happen you just want to sort of let them breathe and sort of you know listen bad news has happened let's just leave it there and we'll work this a few weeks later. Then then like some of the stuff that they had them cutting promos about I remember the one where he threw we burned the shield vest it was a bunch of this you don't deserve to know why I turned on you. And it was like, all right, man, fuck off. Like, and I, I felt like I could really see, um, you know, Moxley's uh, or Ambrose's effort level dropping week by week. And then the gas mask and oh. the inoculations. And it was like, this man's a cartoon villain. I can't believe this. Like this man was supposed to be a generational heel talent. And then he, He's literally doing like almost like like slapstick comedy. It, it seems like you know I I I got shots because these people were disgusting. He was doing a bunch of you. It made no sense. And it, it was made like no sense. It was like I hate all of this. And then you know by the time they get to the match, like it's like well um you know. Oh, like for, for, for me, like I, I think back to it, like you know, and think to myself. Obviously, I'm very angry at the whole leukemia sort of playoff, first of all. And like, but then the line of like, you know, Rick Roman's gonna have to deal with God on this one. Like, right. That's it's, 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 it's so unnecessary. And from obviously reading this book and from listening to the Talk is Jericho podcast, which obviously is, is a couple of months down the road, like things were could have been a whole lot worse. They wanted him to say a lot more worse things and. Like only can only imagine what like what could have probably basically came out of his mouth if he had not stood up for himself. Yeah, we were on on the uh, at the time I hosted a review show for LordsOfPain.net, which I believe is called WrestlingHeadlines.com uh, now, and we did a Raw and SmackDown review, and we were burying um, Dean Ambrose week by week, just like for some of the stuff that he was doing. And, you know, we know obviously that this isn't his doing, this is the company writing this stuff, but um, it was just, it was just really bad. And then you would think this is some type of blood feud. And then they're fighting for the intercontinental title. And I'm like, why is this all this for the intercontinental title? Like, it's like, I thought it was a tragic, like mismatch of things that manifested in a very cold match um, that they began with a lockup. I'll never forget that. This should have been <laughs> Seth Rollins rushing the aisle as as Ambrose is making his uh, entrance and getting to it, and then they want to have a traditional wrestling match, and I was just like flabbergasted. Thought it was horrible. You you, you mentioned the shot promo, and that's just one thing I think of when you see this sort of this is where the direction changes from it's like me against you ambrose whereas like me turn on the people and like this is a guy who went walked through the crowd for the best part of eight years you know like and all of a sudden now he's disgusted by it and he's getting shots and it's such a hilarious well not hilarious but like in a comedic way like it's just this isn't what this feud needs to be this isn't the juice this is it's like showing a book of the cold war over what could have been a very hot feud and it just went down from there. The gas mask, as you mentioned, again, just and think about just, the history of, of Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose in this company. Like this was like one of the best feuds that they ever like had as a company. Like think about the great work in 2014 with the lumberjack match, the Hell in a Cell match. Even though you know Bray Wyatt brought himself into the proceedings, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget like that. that. I I watched that match just the, it was the week my daughter was born, so I was already sleep deprived, and I like I watched this 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 Hell in a Cell match, and oh, I was like, I'm sorry, oh man. my god. 
that was just the worst ending to it. I'm not. I get went to that. I'm not watching Duba Duty again for a week. Phase. <laughs> yeah, like they have buckets loads of history. They have so much things to rely upon, and they they touched on it in the first initial promo that set cut after the heel turn, where he's like, I kind of feel guilty for this because I feel like my actions in 2014 kind of maybe paved the way for what we're getting now, and like. It had a very good starting point, but it really went down the wrong path. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that match was like it needed to be like some type of blood feud kind of match. And instead, we just got a match and it was like a like a nice three star match on, on the dot. And I think it was it totally missed the tone and the crowd was asleep. I think the crowd may yeah. have started hijacking it at some point, if I'm not mistaken. But like watching um, the crowd in the, the Dolph Ziggler tag match, as hell in a cell, like that's a completely different crowd to watching this in TLC, where it should really be the opposite. It should This is what should be on fire. This is what we should be paying money to see, is these two kill each other after weeks of tension. But it, it just it was a real damn squib. And then Dean Ambrose won the match. So it was like... um. How do this is a really weird thing. And then it was like, oh, it's one of those things where you're trying to move Rollins onward and upward, essentially. And this was pretty much the end of it. It is. And this is the thing is this this was a huge obviously this is I don't think there was any two bigger characters that could have a bigger feud at the time than these two guys. Yet that was it. It was over. And it was like move on to the next one. And this is I think WWE's forward planning really at its best you know they don't forward plan they have a, a, a weak structure of what they're going to do week to week and it's just making up as it go along and it's it's very visible here that they had no real direction for how this feud is ever going to end or how it was going to move along and unfortunately for ambrose things just just got worse yeah he um <laughs> with that title it was almost like he was exactly where he was a year prior to that like with that intercontinental title I remember after his WWE championship, they put him with the Intercontinental title going into 2017. And then it was like going into 2019. The next time he was around, he was in the same position. And it was and like, it, was, it wasn't a good run either. Like he was like at that time, Baron Corbin at WrestleMania was the, was the feud. And like this, this guy should be elevated to at least higher than this. But like this is, they, they have a very big track record of, only being able to push certain guys at certain times and if you're not those certain guys you're just that, that's it you're left to flounder like Big E recently would be a very good example of this where he could be the guy he was never really truly viewed as the guy because he wasn't Reigns or he wasn't Lesnar and he, he just right. another guy in the pack right like one minute they're, they're winning matches next week they're losing matches and it's just you, you never feel that these the company was ever getting behind Ambrose at this stage and he had matches that were very passable like you know against Tyler Breeze and main roster which okay he was never going to be a big big match Apollo Crews wasn't exactly hot at the time he had another return against Rollins then and like and it's just it's it, it's a complete nothing run mm-hmm. yeah man like he was he was checked out and we didn't even know it and we obviously don't know it's at the time but the new year basically he has this epiphany where he just he's not happy he's not happy at his direction he's not happy at how he's being used he believes his creative juices and passion is still there but it's not being utilized and he just according to his book anyway he is basically going to go anywhere else that'll allow him to do this it doesn't matter if he has to make this promotion himself he needs to go and he hands his notice in just after the royal rumble which he didn't exactly have a great run in either he's eliminated Ooh. very early uh, by alistair black like you know after coming in it's like he doesn't th- there's obviously no forward plan for what this guy is he's lost the ic title to lashley very quickly in a three-way and there's like like not not saying anything bad about lashley but like at this time lashley is just no fire with him either he's just another guy as well he's there's nothing there that says this guy is going to be able to make it big. And it's just one of many people within WWE that just isn't being used properly. I, I remember feeling like something was kind of wrong in the 2019 Royal Rumble when he was like completely quickly thrown out by Aleister Black. And if you remember um, and you guys remember the theme of the Royal Rumble in 2019, this is in the aftermath of the launch of AEW. So what are what WWE was trying to do, I feel like, was send the message that we have all this talent on the bench, all this future talent with all the NXT presence that was in the Royal Rumble. I believe Andrade was in the final four. Mm-hmm. Gargano was in it. Cole was in it. Pete Dunne was there. And it was like they just have so many people. And it's like if they can just focus on these people, these are the people we want to see. And they would be fine. But then you see the way Dean Ambrose was thrown out and it was like, Oh, we're going to have to clear some of the, the dead wood around here. And um, Dean Ambrose looked like dead wood at that time. 
and like it's, it's obviously from reading his book we know that he handed his notices around these times he's very clever he's obviously got his 90 days structure to when his end of his, his contract is so one way or another he's going to be paid WWE are either trying to send a message to him or at least that's the easy perception of what we can gather he goes into a feud with Nia Jax and like he tries to make the best of it making you know lemons lemonade out of lemons and it's clear that like this guy is just you know he's not being viewed and valued by the company anymore and there's something wrong here like there was a promo segment he did with triple h where it looked like he had the fire one last time and kind of gave it to triple h on the mic and then got out the ring it was at the beginning of a raw show but he he had a match with Rollins straight after that and then he was done that was yep. the last moment of, of really anything for Dean Ambrose there because he get like you said, he gave it to fire. He looked like he had that. There was something here. Maybe they could resurrect it here one last time, but no, they just had him buried to Rollins and then it all went absolutely downhill from there. The the Nia Jackson is their handbook on trying to devalue this guy because like I think the funny thing is like this was such a foreign concept to WWE, their fans, everything. No one could actually believe it was happening. And, you know, I felt like he was going to AEW the whole time anyway, personally. I think everyone was in so much shock. They were like, we can't believe this dude will leave. So it was like they tr- they did some weird thing, like where they tried to co-opt the news of Moxley's contract not being renewed. And they had never did anything like that never. before. Yeah. And so it never went to anywhere, really. It was just like, oh, well, he's going to expire and then it, it, he signs on anyway. And I thought to myself, well, this is probably going to be one of them situations where he's probably holding out for more money. Like, I don't know Moxie as, as well as I know him now. Like, and I was thinking to myself, maybe this is going to be one of the things that's just going to be eventually sorted out down the road. Because at this time, WWE are, they're wanting to literally sign everyone up to long term contracts. They're throwing money at everyone. Like and like you, Ambrose would have been probably on probably at least a million a year maybe at this stage. He's main invented a good bit. So they probably could have thrown thrown a lot of money at this guy just to sign on. And clearly it wasn't an option of money. It's clearly that Ambrose just wasn't appreciated and he just there's not enough money in the world for, for him to be this unhappy anymore. And the funny thing was when he was wrestling EC3 and, you know, EC3 do no fault of his own. He had uh, his own struggles and matching him with, you know, a guy that was in character flux where the crowd had decided to um, turn uh, Ambrose into a martyr that they just cheer for him. And that kind of left EC3 up the creek because they didn't know what to do with him either. They were flying him city to city uh, where where it looked like, you know, he would show up, uh, strip down to his draws and stand in the mirror backstage and not speak. And look like he was trying to proposition himself like, you know, he had it for sale, if you know what I mean. But he <laughs> he um, w- kind of got put in a bad position, too. And I think it sunk, sank his career. It did. It's definitely there was definitely a perception that like the fans wanted to get behind Moxley and Easy Tree was just an unfortunate victim at the unfortunate time. It was like, like, he was like, Oh, I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to get him over by beating No, it doesn't work like that. And then like WWE did the one eighty in the other direction after well, actually not really. Like they they still served up um an execution of losses to Drew McIntyre, which <laughs> I will never forget as long as I can live. Like every Monday night, Drew McIntyre executed a man three on, weeks in a row on, on live television, and no one did anything about it. And Elias was there as well. Elias got a win over him, and Elias was never like he was never really pushed to be that kind of level guy, not at least at this time anyway. Like, and like you have to look at this guy. He's they've, they've completely downturned on this guy he, they're trying to devalue him as he leaves the, the company he's not at mania he's nowhere to be seen but at the same time they give him the shield farewell which is again a very odd moment in terms of how wwe usually does these kind of things it was like they were trying to act like he was retiring or something like it they were they were i don't know man it was like they wanted this shield thing and to try to squeeze the last bit of it out of it that they could like they got the, the pay-per-view reunion final match they got the house show match they had this man going out and hey go out there and tell the fans goodbye and all this stuff and you know i believe you know in one of those interviews he was like i'm not telling them goodbye i'm telling y'all goodbye yeah and you know this was all really weird and it, it only got weirder from the last show reunion union they did and the, I don't know if you've read his book or not, but in his book, he details how he only received like literally the mere minimum from that shield reunion. Like, yes. Or, or like, like $500, $500 or something. Yeah. 
for I'm not going to say they're the shittiest company in the world, but like for all the good they do do, they do so many things like this that makes you just absolutely not want to support them. Like this is a guy who was there for what 2011 onwards and he is being shown the door with 500 books. Good luck, pal. See you later. This is how they treat an employee of a really good employee of what nearly the best part of eight or nine years out the door. Not a, not a single regret on their part. Yeah, and I, I always remember that last interview they did with Michael Cole where it was like they thought that. And then the, the funny thing was they they put the screws to, to Ambrose a lot, but they couldn't bury him that much because they risked, they ran the risk of like kind of pissing off Roman and Seth, uh, which is even funnier in hindsight what Seth turns into following Moxley's departure where he's just carrying all the water and it's like, oh, this wouldn't matter to Seth at all. Um, I think – that last interview you did with Cole where he's talking about cashing out his chips at the casino, he was talking about having to protect himself. He didn't know what they were going to ask him. And, you know, it was like he had just one more thing to get through and that was it. Uh, and Very fascinating fair. in hindsight, knowing he would show up and, you know, as the mystery man in new Japan and then, you know, the big surprise in AEW. Like it's, it's fascinating to see how they obviously dealt with him. Like in with the Noah Jack situation, like, I actually particularly think he was making the most of that. It was actually wasn't bad. And I think there's definitely something in Nia Jack's view again in a feud with another male. I think Randy Orton proved that at the Royal Rumble. There's definitely something there that he could be doing with this. And he was actually gaining a bit of traction with this. And then it was like, oh, you're you're getting over with this? You're enjoying this? Okay, we're we're putting you with easy treat. Total plug. And that's just this it's, it's this company in a nutshell. They're very petty and they are very they're, they're very vindictive and they can easily while they can be very good to you at very times when everything's going well, but if you're not playing ball they just cut the legs from underneath you, unfortunately, and Ambrose was no different. Something else that made this whole thing awkward um, was Renee Young was on commentary this yes. entire time. Um, I, I didn't like remember like uh, like us bringing that up at any point, but I think I she was on there I with Graves. I completely forgot all about this. She was up uh, held in the cell pay-per-view, and I was like, wow, remember this? I for- totally went out of my mind that she actually did commentary. Like they would have like Corey Graves like telling her to like explain his actions, and it was like, I can't really do that because like he's a heel like I can't so that made everything really awkward too and it only got more awkward as you know he was headed out to company that's it and you know they're obviously going to be torn the screws on Renee as well because you know that's what they'd like to do with couples they if they can't make you suffer they'll make her suffer you know and like clearly she's obviously exited the company since then and they can obviously they, they both to be fair to them I don't think they buried the company as much as they probably could have, if they remember the talk of Jericho podcast, the emancipation of John Moxley, like he goes into detail about obviously, obviously what he didn't like about the company, but he never really shits on them either. He, I feel like it was never a CM Punk, you know, walking out the door, all, you know, blaze of glory sort of deal. He was respectful. He liked a lot of things. He loved that he met his wife there, and obviously that's a big deal for him. But ultimately, he just didn't like their creative direction. Yeah, there was also the Wade Keller interviews, which I think really peaked. I, what I think the biggest indictment was that he was confirming uh, a lot of what fans at the time were thinking about the creative process in WWE and, you know, a change being needed from Vince and his entire career kind of being looked at as like, you know, the friend's friend, essentially, like when he was pretty much the most popular one of them all. Um, and I think the uh, yeah, the, the biggest thing I would say is like he was confirming a lot of stuff that everyone was thinking and the people that stand up for WWE in their free time for free, like they did not like this <laughs> at all. They're never going to like it, to be fair. No matter what this guy was going to be saying, like there's always going to be people that are just so hell-bent loyal to a company which doesn't deserve any sort of loyalty. You know, and that's just the way life is, unfortunately. These people just, like, they, they will literally die on the cross no matter what WWE do. <laughs> but Moxley, you know, like, he he has to look after number one. It's like, the guy doesn't seem like he's a very materialistic man. He seems to love his craft. He likes pro wrestling. The one thing he made sure to, in these interviews, was, like, my passion for, for wrestling is still here. I still want to go and kill it every night, wherever I go. Wherever, it doesn't matter if it's in Indies. It doesn't matter if there's 10 people watching. I'm going to be there and I'm going to be working my ass off for the fans. And like, that's like, this is the kind of thing that just endures you to this guy ever. Like for me, like John Moxley is not the best wrestler in the world. He, this is while I'm fascinated by him and I really like and enjoy following his career. Like this guy is, he's not a, he's not a work rate guy. He's not like a, a 60 minute Ironman guy. This guy, he isn't a high flyer that does fancy moves. He is a brawler. He has a set rigid sort of, you know, structure to his work. And, the passion is why what draws me to him more than anything else. And this whole departure from WWE just gave him an, an extra layer of, you know, endearment. 
yeah, like, and I think it's important to remember at the time, like, he was saying all this, like, he was afraid that the people wouldn't accept him outside of WWE, but, like, I think the memories of, like, fans were kind of, you know, and, you know, he's in that bubble, so he doesn't know this, but, like, you know, I think people knew the, the shit platter that he was being given. It was like, all right, he did a lot of bad work, and we're going to be honest about that bad work, but we know there's a great wrestler in there. Like, this guy was an Iron Man for, for WWE for, like, a couple years straight. It was like, we know what it looks like when this guy works hard. We know what it looks like when he's not interested in something. So upon getting like unleashed into the new um, kind of wrestling landscape that was forming in 2019, he was the perfect guy to leave WWE. He was part of a legacy act and still young enough to be considered in the prime of his career with tons of money in the bank. So he doesn't have to worry about that. He was the perfect guy to leave and I'm, someone that already had a knowledge of like working outside of WWE. It's just been years and years. Yeah. Did right? you feel he was lucky in the sense of or like, you know, that AEW came around or do you feel like this was always something that he knew was on the horizon that he just picked his moment? I think AEW was an additional boon to what he was going to do because he would have showed up in New Japan either way, right? And he would have probably worked in indies and, you know, maybe even starts his promotion, who knows, but AEW keeps him in the the mind of the American wrestling fan for sure. And I hate to like frame it in just American terms, but you know, the most watched promotions, WWE or AEW right now. And then new Japan's like struggled like a recent, but new Japan then was more of a, it was a promotion that everyone wanted to get into. Like, you know, all the, the critical acclaim, the good matches, they were expanding rapidly. He, he could have easily been very valuable to them. And he was very, very valuable to them. Like as someone that's not the elite essentially. And he's not someone that you typically, you know, before he obviously went to New Japan that you'd ever think would go to New Japan because, like, he's primarily been a WWE guy. And if you think most people that really have been primarily Connecticut or Stanford guys, like, they don't really branch off into other wrestling too much at this stage. You know, like, you know, like very few people go to New Japan. Very few people would go work on the Indies unless they have nothing else to do. And this is a guy who, like, you know, he's got money in the bank. He doesn't need to go to New Japan. He doesn't need to work in Indies, but he he does it. I remember I would hear stories about him being um, like I was in New York at the time for WrestleMania 35 weekend. Of course, I didn't go to WrestleMania because that shows long as hell. I was there for everything <laughs> else. But I, a buddy of mine, uh, Josh Smith, at keeping it strong style was at uh, the Bloodsport event. And he was like, yeah, man, Dean Ambrose is standing here with William Regal. So it's like, all right, he knows what's going on out here. And you know, that guy's just wired different than a lot of those other guys. It's like he never really like he tried to make the best of what he was given, but he didn't drink the Kool-Aid to the extent that others have. He seems to be a guy of, from reading. He like I said, he's not materialistic. He's a minimalist. He he famously states that he rocked up to, you know, to NXT or FCW basically with like just his car and like, you know, whatever cash he had in his pocket. He doesn't need anything like, you know, like and this is the kind of guy who just seems to want to have enough to survive or just enough to be comfortable while doing what he enjoys. And it's very clear that like, you know, that this guy has a passion and an absolute you know love of professional wrestling. And we didn't know at the time, but like looking back now, like the last three years since he's left WWE it would be a hugely duller place without John Moxley around yeah um, there's a great argument that this has been the best run of his career he wins Flair Thez in 2020 who would have called that never never um, call that and he was you know another you know top candidate uh, this past year and he you know of course he had the deal where he was you know he, he left to go handle some personal issues at the end of last year but he looked like he was actually going to be headed towards the heel turn that everyone yes. kind of wanted to see at a certain point and I still think that's on the table but this guy's definitely become... on the table I think you look at the way things are going with Danielson it's just, it's the beauty of pro wrestling when you don't know what's going to happen and I want both I want him to face Danielson I want him to team up and the one thing I can always say especially about him in the last three years that this guy carried AEW during a pandemic with like I, to be honest with you his opponents weren't exactly great but he made the most out of this you know these feuds and been able to bring the company to a level where they were able to survive during absolutely you know terrible crowdless times yeah, I was there at um, All Out 2020, which was the head showy headline against MJF. And that is pretty famous for not being a great show. 
but I remember leaving after the main event feeling like, you know, I didn't get ripped off or anything. It was like, you know, it was a very hot night. I think that contributed to a lot of stuff. They had a couple things go wrong on the show. But at the end of the night, like John Moxley was cutting this go home promo fresh off, like, you know, the, the mash she's, I gave like four and a quarter it worked hard as hell. And then it was like, man, this guy feels like a real world champion. Like, and you know, like I'm famously a big, like Kenny Omega fan. Right. And, I think that Moxley, I, I had no qualms about him being like the person that was on top at the time. It was like, yeah, why wouldn't you Made go with this guy? At the very yeah. least. I was, I was like, why wouldn't you go with this guy? This guy's like uh, on fire with the promos. Like he's kind of like re-marketed uh, himself as like the student of the game, kind of, uh, you know, his appreciation for the Japanese wrestling and, uh, you know, the different types of hardcore stuff, the influences. And now like, you know, the stuff with the Onita and the wild thing is like, I think he's hitting a whole nother stratosphere now, like kind of. And, you know, I think he could he could eventually win the AW world title again at some point. And, you know, I wouldn't say that about everyone that's held held the title so far. That's it. And we can see that the seeds before, obviously, his personal troubles got in the way of, like, of heel Moxley in AEW. And, like, these are things that, like, I can't wait for them to eventually revisit. But the guy, he has a physical and, you know, char- charisma that, like, not many people have. Like, you're either born with it or not. And this guy has the swagger and bravado that, you know, it's it just jumps off you straight away, especially when he's, you know, he's hot as hell in AEW. Like, and... This is the kind of thing that, like, he, he didn't have the, the greatest opponents, in my opinion, in AEW. Like, he, MJF was not as hot as he is right now. He has right. entered another level. Lou, uh, you know, Brody Lee, exactly. You know, he was still very cold after coming in through, like, very little fanfare. And Eddie Kingston, which was a great feud, he was still a very untested and untried kind of, you know, talent at top level. So this guy had absolutely amazing feuds with people that he probably had no right to. Mm-hmm. And, and he was just so, someone every week. He's just like solid as fuck. It was like the the reverse of his late 2019, where every week he was just how low would he sink essentially? <laughs> and and it's I guess the difference between being engaged and plugged in with what you want to do, uh, and having that freedom, and then you know having a script handed to you, and then having your passion killed for whatever you're doing. And there's no problems with scripts in the sense of like some people may need them and some people right. need bullet points. You know, there is people out there that could really benefit from these kind of environments. But there's some people that don't. And Moxley was clearly one of these people that just let him trust him, give him, give him what he needs, give him the loose structure and he can deliver. And he's done that in AEW like, you know, nearly every time he gets a chance. And the one thing I would always like to end the show with, Rich, is you've obviously been a big fan of him since his shield debut and you know a lot of them but what is your favorite dean ambrose john moxley moments like what is it the definitive moment for you in his career man um i would say this is this, i don't know if this will be controversial or anything but no no go yeah on. i don't i don't think it'd be controversial it'd just be something like people wouldn't expect so i was at AEW double or nothing in 2021 when all the fans were able to fill up Daly's place. Like, mind you, I was there when it was like 10%. And then (laughs) seeing this, when he made his entrance in Wild Thing, and he's in the second match and against the Bucks, that entrance, he just felt like a gargantuan. Just like, I've had so much fun, like singing his theme song, the whole crowd in unison. That entrance to me is, is my favorite Moxley moment. That's a pretty good moment. I don't think that's controversial. There's great moments out there. You could probably pick other ones, but that one is definitely up there. Like, I remember that one very vividly. We all want to see the fans back at the stage. We want to see how you react to the modern day AEW product as from a year onwards. And to see Moxley and Kingston come down and just, they basically just drank in it with the fans. The fans right. wanted them. They, they, they both fed off each other and themselves obviously before you even get to the ring like they are absolutely soaking it in and hyping it up just with doing very little and it's amazing yeah yeah um also love his match with ishii in the g1 i'll say that <laughs> oh yes that's probably his best match in that g1 run like you know i think that's like that was one of the things about his g1 run that was so surprising is that he had a wide variety of obviously different opponents and can he deliver can he deliver over a long term over a short period which he's never really had to do like and mix it up with different people and different varieties and he thought wow listen i've talked about his g1 obviously on the show before but if i haven't anyone hasn't checked out his g1 run it's all there have a look at it you will not be disappointed rich thank you so much for coming on where can people reach you if they need to on twitter or any other social media 
Yeah, you guys can uh, follow me at richladder 32 or at One Nation Radio uh, on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We uh, normally record uh, Monday nights. We do live Twitch streams uh, on my Twitch. It's like twitch.tv slash richladder. You can watch along, use the bits, however that works. I just became an affiliate on there, so we've you know been having fun on that. And we've also got lots of uh, clips on YouTube if you just want a sample of some of the topics we hit. Lovely stuff, Rich. And of course, you have a big weekend. Obviously, it's already come and gone. Obviously, at a you know, obviously a revolution weekend. Tell people what you were doing then. Yeah, man. So like, there was a show um, Saturday. It's a music show where uh, there there's going to be Mikey Ruckus, who's the AEW music um, coordinator. Uh, he's going to be doing a performance, and then also Wrestle and Flow, which is Josiah Williams, and then Montezzi are going to be performing some of the the hip hop themes that they've done, and you know some of the music they've done. And uh, I will also be joining. Uh, I mean, if you guys heard this, I joined Montezzi on stage uh, with that, and also you know cr- contributed three songs to the AEW Who We Are album. Uh, produced the beat on three of them and rapped on one. Uh, it's pretty cool, and uh, you know it's been it's been a great uh, kind of rollout for the album, and everyone's really uh, you know seemed excited about it. As a fan of team music in general, and of course of you know like of hip hop, I am a very jealous man, very jealous. Very <laughs> now, but Rich, thank you so much for coming on. This has been Wild Thing. I've been your host Joey O'Doherty, and you can reach me at uh, Awesome Joe on Twitter or at the Mox Podcast. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.